Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Amen. How are we, church? Good? Hey, it's good to be gathered with you all for sure. A couple things just here right off the bat. Do you all know it's Caden's birthday today? Today. Can you believe it? He's 20, 24. 24. I can never remember how old he is. He seems older than he actually is, but he's 24. And uh, so give him a high five, a hug. Give him a hug. He hates hugs. So just give him a big old hug after service today for sure. Wish him a happy birthday. Um, The other thing, just want to keep you guys uh, up to date and kind of up to speed with what is going on here is uh, John has officially transitioned out um, of his role here as executive pastor. If you want to hear more about kind of what God has been doing in this place, I'd encourage you just to go back and watch the family update back in uh, March. Uh, But John, uh, during the fast, felt stirred and called uh, to go seek a job in the the secular world. And so he is actually starting a new job. I asked him this morning if I could share this. He's starting a new job with NAGR, the National National Association of Gun Rights here in Loveland, Colorado. And so, um, yeah, he's very excited. He's got a job that fits his personality and, and who he is very well. God has provided miraculously, not just for him, uh, but also for us. We have officially brought on Chelsea Stein. Um, and so if you don't know Chelsea, Chris sometimes will play electric guitar over here. Um, that's her husband. And Chelsea, oh, she's sitting right back here. I just saw you. I didn't see you coming in. Chelsea's sitting right back there. Uh, she's waving at everyone. Um, Chelsea brings uh, some great experience in the, in the area of finance and budgeting. And so she's going to be coming on as our finance manager um, as a part-time position to help oversee the finance side of what John was doing. As we kind of talked about this transition, realized that was the most uh, urgent and pressing need, making sure that we had good oversight and accountability uh, with our budget. And so Chelsea's coming on in that capacity to help us out there, but also just with some administrative stuff as well. So uh, welcome her. She's starting tomorrow. And uh, man, it's just going to be a good time. God is good. Amen. Amen. Um, Man, just kind of a wild, wild turn, but I'm just, I'm cons- I, I shouldn't be surprised. I found, I've, I think I've said this to a number of you. I just go, man, I'm, I'm surprised. And yet, like, I know God is good. I know God is sovereign and he has a big plan. And yet I'm still just surprised when it just kind of lives out and it, and it happens, you know? And so, uh, man, praise his name. Let me just pray. I'm going to pray for both of them real quick. And if you would, just kind of pray with me. And then we'll jump into the sermon this morning. Um, God, first of all, thank you so much for my buddy, John. And just ask that you would bless him uh, wildly in this next upcoming season over at NAGR. And I pray that you would just uh, help him fit in with the crew over there. Um, I pray that he would see just even more so his gifting just come alive and his calling come alive uh, for whatever it is that you put on his plate. God, we know that he uh, loves you and he loves your kingdom. And so God, I pray that he would just continue to represent you well uh, wherever he is. Thank you for our friend. And would you bless him and Annie and their family in this upcoming season? Um, And God for Chelsea, just pray that you would uh, um, help bring her on, help us bring her into this this work environment in a way that um, that is just awesome. We thank you that she is a not just bringing in some great expertise in this area, but she's also just a wonderful culture fit for our family here that we get to serve alongside. And so I pray that you would um, give her vision and wisdom. Um, I pray that you would help us continue to manage our resources well for your glory and for your good, Um, not just in this church and for these people, uh, but for our city and for our world. God, we thank you so much for what you've done through this place. And we just ask that it would continue and that Chelsea would bring um, maybe even just some new um, uh, vision, some outside set of eyes to, to ask some questions and maybe help us do things 
uh, even better than we were before because she has an outside and a different kind of take. So, um, Lord, we're thankful for her, thankful for the Steins. Um, just pray that you'd continue to use all of us in the way that you want to use us, Lord. We are open um, and, and want to be soft clay in your hands as you want to use us, Lord. Uh, and so we just ask that you would uh, continue to bless our morning this morning as we're gathered together and be with us now as we open your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, we have been in this series uh, called Life on Mission. And in this series, what we've really walked through is just these different areas where we go, okay, if I am a, if I'm a believer, a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I have set my life apart, I'm no longer living according to myself, but I'm living according to God's spirit. Uh, we're just asking, God, how do you want that to spill out of us? And we talked about how the first place it starts is in our heart, moves into our family, moves into our, our, our cities, our neighbors. And, and the only circle left that I re really want to talk about now is our nation. I want to ask the question today, how do we as believers in Jesus represent him well and live on mission for him in the country we're currently living in? And so, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about government today. We're going to talk about politics today. And we're going to have some fun today. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not fun for some of you, but it's going to be fun for me. I'm excited. Um, I, I want to just say, before I, I jump in, I want to tell a quick story. Um, we, we, we hosted a funeral here for Neil McDonald this past week. And um, if you didn't know Neil, I didn't really know Neil that well, but I got to sit there. And one of my favorite things, honestly, uh, at a funeral service is getting to just learn so much about somebody's life and get to watch just what God did and how the Lord moved through their life. And Neil did not grow up walking with the Lord. Um, and it was just totally clear that Neil knew how to have a really good time, uh, if you know what I mean. Like it was maybe not even with the Lord and back in high school. He knew to have a really, really good time. Now, there were people here that weren't walking with Jesus that just came because they knew Neil as such a good friend and such a fun person to be around. But Neil, as I listened to stories being shared, here's what I want you just to catch this morning, is that Neil at some point in his life made a, made a radical decision to abandon his old life and to follow after Jesus wholeheartedly. And that, and that moment changed Neil for forever. And I mean, you, can, you could see the fruitfulness, you could see the character that was, that was changed in his life. This, this point, there's a turning point where he said, nope, that guy's gone, I'm living into this person now. But then from there, what, what was beautiful about the story is then we got to hear about how his family then came to know Christ. And then like just the beauty of what was happening in this room on Monday was that his, his grandkids were in this room worshiping Jesus because of a decision that was made on his behalf years before. So do you, I just want you to grasp the picture. I mean, it was it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a person who lived his life on mission. There were people who were far from the Lord, who he was clearly in relationship with, that were coming to, into this room to hear his funeral, to hear the gospel presented, and they had a chance to just have it all laid on the line for them, and they got to choose if they were going to respond or not. Like this is like a life on mission bids us the opportunity to just forsake everything in pursuit of God's mission and God's kingdom. And that's, that's what I want to capture this morning before we get into all the fun stuff. Is that this is what we're talking about. We're talking about actually building a life that's set upon Christ, the solid rock, so that when the storms of life come, no matter what may come our way, we are representing and glorifying him well. Come what may, I just even love in that song, even, even if bad things are happening, I'm going to still proclaim and I'm going to sing and I'm going to declare the wonders and the excellencies of our God. Come what may, come what may. And so if you would, would you open up your Bible into uh, Luke chapter 12. We're going to jump in there in just a minute. But as we go through the sermon today, I really just want to uh, outline my sermon through a series of questions, a series of questions. Um, the first question is, um, 
like really, we want to ask the, the main question, how do I see my life on mission for God? How do I see my life on mission for God? Um, in the country that we're living in that's so politically divided, so tense, I don't think it's a secret to anybody in the room, and we talked about this last week, like we are living in tense and divisive times, um, especially maybe for those in the church who just by your, your sexual ethic and your view on life alone are going to label you into a certain category most often. And that, that what we so like to do in our modern culture today is we like to create labels and create categories, I think, so that we can more easily dismiss people. And that happens across party lines. So you just are labeled, you label somebody as the Democrat, you label somebody as the gay person, you label somebody as the evangelical, and all of that labeling, what it does is it creates a really convenient out for us to create separation to say, I don't really affiliate with them. And, 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 what, and what we talked about with the Good Samaritan is the gospel invitation bids us this, this, this urgency to go, no, I'm going to draw near towards people that even might be in the different label than what I'm in. And, and, and what we're going to see here in Luke chapter 12 is that Jesus shows us how we can possibly, as Americans and as Christians, how we can prioritize the things that need prioritized and we can let the rest of it fall into place. And so that's what I want to invite us into today. Because what I see is, is the, the response to kind of the growing frustration with the state of our country are really two, I think, kind of short-sighted responses that are knee-jerk reactions to our growing frustration in our country. On the one hand, uh, you have this sort of desire or this, this fight to get things back to how they used to be. And you have a lot of people who are just going, man, if we could just get back, if we could just restore. And you have this glorified version of yesteryear where you're just so bent on if we can just get back to there, then things will be better. And what you do with that is you, is you, you fail to acknowledge the shortcomings of the past, but you also are, you're, you're not really embracing what's happening in front of you. But then on the other side of the coin, equally as wrong, maybe even more destructive is, is the, the, the phrase that I just see all over where it's just like, we just got to blow it all up and start over. Right, so on the one hand, it's like, man, we, you want to kind of get back to where we used to be, but on the other hand, you have people that, this whole movement afoot that's like, man, unless we just deconstruct and rip apart and tear everything down because of the very fabric it was wrong, then we're never going to progress into what we want to progress into. These are these two options that kind of lay before us, and I just wonder if Jesus would give us a third option. I just wonder if Jesus would give us a third option. Luke 12, starting in verse 24. Jesus says to kind of, uh, he's starting to land the plane on his Sermon on the Mount, so to speak. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? O you of little faith. Is that all that it reads there, in, start ending in 28? Hold on, we're going to keep going. I'm missing, I'm missing one thing. It says, verse 29, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Verse 30, For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. He says this in 31, Instead, seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus' invitation in this passage is not to just completely dismiss things like money and clothing, but to seek first, to put in right priority the kingdom of God, to pursue after the kingdom. And so I want to talk today about the kingdom of God and how we pursue the kingdom while we're living in a kingdom, right? Big K kingdom of God, little K kingdom of America. The first question that I want to ask all of you sitting here is, um, is over the last, here, can you go to the first slide we have? How much anxiousness and frustration do you have in things that you have no agency to solve? Let me, let me kind of just rephrase this a little bit. How many of you are consistently frustrated with, consistently angered by, talking about, complaining about the state of things that are so much further beyond what you actually have the agency to get involved in? Let me, let me just kind of cherry pick on one for just a second, because this will be fun. The election was rigged. The election was absolutely rigged. It was stolen. I can't even believe we're still letting this happen. And I go, okay, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Here, here's what I know. Pastor in Loveland, Colorado, graduated college with a health and exercise science degree. <laughs> Lord knows if they stole the election, I don't know how to fix it. Do you? So here, like, I would say that there are so many things happening, and I'm not saying we shouldn't pay attention. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray, okay? This is, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying the response should be nothingness. I'm just saying we can't let our frustration dominate the things that we're doing, the things that we're talking about, the way that we're speaking, in a way that um, we have to acknowledge at some point our own limitations that, guess what? I'm not gonna be the person who solves the election even if I think, think it was broken. I'm not gonna be the person to solve uh, the, the death of George Floyd. I'm not going to, I mean, you just, Nate, you could go through topic after topic. I'm not going to be the one. You're probably, there are probably no future presidents of the United States sitting in front of me today. But we are a group of people sitting in a city with influence. So the mistake would be to pull all the way out of this and say, okay, I have nothing to do. The, the, the mistake also would just be spending your life consistently anxious and frustrated about things that God has not given you uh, the ability to solve. We are called to steward what we have in our hand. We are not called to worry about the things that we don't. So, so here, like, I'm, again, I'm not saying that if something comes up, that doesn't mean that our first response shouldn't be prayer. You can always pray. I'm not saying you can't have conversations about what's happening in our nation. Of course you can. Of, of course you should. I'm just saying, do these things tend to dominate what you talk about? The, the data and the research that is coming in would show that we as Americans are, are possibly more frustrated than we have ever been than we can remember in recent past. Can you just kind of scroll through some of these graphs for me? So this one, this is America's trust in the government to do the right thing. Now, now, the people who answered said some of the time, or I'm sorry, they said mostly always or always I trust the government to do the right thing. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm surprised it's as high as 21%. That say, ah, I, I trust the government to do the right thing all the time. Oh, mostly all the time. Right, but just look at, look at, this is how we're feeling. If you go back to Eisenhower, Kennedy, and Johnson back in the 60s, our, 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 our trust in the government has gone somewhere near the 80th percentile where four out of five Americans trusted the federal government. Now all the way down, it's the inverse. It's one out of five. That's pretty, I mean, that, we're feeling that, aren't we? I mean, just you know, like, yeah, okay, there's my feelings kind of in a chart. You know, 
it's, it's moved along this and there, but mostly it's just gone down. Can we go to the next slide? This is Americans' satisfaction with the way things are going in the United States. Man, that, that, that graph is all over the place. <laughs> but what you can see is at peaks, at times, we've had almost seven out of 10 people satisfied with the way things are going in the United States. And right now, uh, we're sitting near the lower end of the spectrum at 21. Not with 7% back in 08. That was probably recession-related, of course. And, and man, but here we are, 21%. That means, that means one out of five people that you encounter at King Supers are, are, generally speaking, pretty satisfied with the way things are going in the country. And, I, 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 and, they, and one out of five also um, trust the government. I liken that to like, you know, the, the random babies that will come up and they'll just kind of hug your leg and they're just like, we pick, they just are so trusting of anybody. I'm like, that just must be 20% of the American population at this point, you know? <laughs> That's just running around going like, will you, just, will you pick me up? Like, you know, can we go to the next slide? The next slide. In general, um, this is a social survey that shows the declining uh, representation of Christianity in our country. So if you go to the early 70s, you have uh, a net Christian representation of about 90% between Protestants and Catholics, about 90%. That number dwindles all the way down to 71%. Even now, I would say the amount of practicing Christians is probably far lower than 71%. Uh, it's probably, uh, some of the data would indicate it's somewhere between like eight and 10% of Americans um, today are practicing Christians. Practicing meaning they consistently are at church, consistently praying, consistently reading the word. Look at though, in the, far, in the farther right category, I know it's a lot of data there, but if you look at no religion at all, the religious nuns, not nuns, you know, like N-U-N with a habit on, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about N-O-N-E, like they don't affiliate with any sort of religion. Look at how that category has grown from 6% in the 70s all the way to the late 2010s, so the late teens, all the way up to 22%. It's about 25% of the population would say, I'm a religious nun. Interestingly, when I was doing some research, Mormonism held a steady 2% for the last like 40 years. How weird is that? Even though they're going door to door all the time. Um, anyways. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. Do I have another slide or is that one it? Is that one it? That's it. So there's this, there's this growing angstiness and frustration. And, and my worry is, is that we as Christians are buying into the left-right conversation rather than focusing on the up-down conversation. So I, I, think, I think the church in America today is struggling, not so much because we're, 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 we're getting swept up by culture or we're getting bought and sold lies by different things that are happening. I think what's happening to the church in America, the reason why we're losing uh, such power and why, the reason why we're losing some of our influential status is because we've bought into, this is a war between the left and the right. And we've just gone, okay, it's the left, it's the right. We, one's the enemy, one's not. We gotta just fight each other and we gotta try and win the left and the right. We gotta try and win the White House, win the Senate. And I'm not saying those spaces don't matter. I'm just saying they are far less important than the conversation of the kingdom and the world or, or, or heaven and hell. And if we just continue to buy into this, it's, it's us or it's them, then we're going to miss the, the, the real conversation that I think we need to be having is, no, it's people that are going to heaven and it's people that are going to hell. And, and not in some way where it's like, oh my gosh, you're going to hell. No, it's in some heartbreaking way where it's like, man, no, God has a greater vision, a greater idea, a greater, greater picture of what your life, what your relationship to me, what your value is to me than what you have for yourself. And there's so many people that are just getting caught up in Christians that are getting caught up in, well, if Trump was just back in the White House, and I'm just saying, even if he was, there are still people going to hell in our city. And this is what we have to be caring about. This is what we have to be passionate about. The, the first question, 
How much anxiousness and frustration do you have in things that you have no agency to solve? I wonder how many of us are so, uh, we're so neglecting the needs of our city because we're caught up in the conversation of our, of our country. Like we're just, we're just so in battle, entrenched in our viewpoints. We're just talking about these ideologies that are really just of the world. Even though I will say, I think our constitution that gives birth to our democratic republic that we live in is the best that humans can come up with. I, I think it's the, I think, I love this country. I, I'm proud of all the things that we have in our governing documents and it's not the kingdom. It's not the kingdom. And so the second question, over the last two years, have you been seeking more kingdom or politics? Listen, this is, I'm trying to help. I, I even, as I, I felt like God gave me that question this week. And you know what my answer was? Oof. <laughs> it's so easy. It's so easy, especially now. I mean, you, you look back over the last two years, right? And, and COVID and race and presidential elections and all these things that were so frustrating. All these were things where we did have, it felt like we had things pressing on us. It felt like we had liberties and freedoms that were being infringed upon. And I'm not, I'm not trying to sit here and say that those don't matter. I'm just trying to say, man, I, I think I spent more time complaining about politics than I did considering what was happening in the kingdom. Because it's so easy to get lost in a conversation and miss the fact that you have somebody that's lost walking right by you, isn't it? It's so easy to get caught up in, in just like sitting at the dinner table and talking about this, talking about that, that you miss an opportunity to disciple your kids well. It just, it's so, it's so gripping right now. It's so seductive to want to pull into the, the, the topic of politics. Because let's, let's just be really honest. And I kind of hemmed and hawed about whether I was going to go here this week or not. But, but I just want to acknowledge for the room's sake, like um, if we're going to hold to a biblical sexual ethic, and if we're going to hold to a biblical vision of life, those two things alone are going to land us mostly on the conservative side of things. Mostly. I'm not saying if you land on the left side of things that you don't belong here. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying those two ideas alone are, are, are pretty held down on, on the right. And so as we go there, I, my, my thing is, I'm not saying you can't vote right or vote left. You have to vote. You have to at some point vote. I'm just saying don't swallow the whole pill. Don't swallow the whole pill. Um, I think it would be helpful for us to understand that America is not the center role player in God's kingdom. Is, is America a beautiful country? Yes. Am I proud to call it home? Yes. Am I thankful that I was born here? Yes and amen. And yet this country is not God's good, perfect gift to the world. Like, that was Jesus, right? It's like Israel is who God has a covenant relationship with. Not America. America is not the new Israel. And, and it's weird that I have to even say that, but, but we have to acknowledge that like, just because we were founded on some, on some Christian values does not make us a theocracy with God as king. That's not how we were founded. That's not how we're set up. Now, I, I do think the principles are good, but, but I think the more that we get lost in, oh man, uh, are, is this party or is it that party? I'm just saying, hey, even if you have to plug your nose to fill out the Scantron and send that thing in, man, go vote, do it. And, and here's like, I love the song that we sang this morning. I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. I don't want to be formed and informed by my feelings about my politics. I want to be formed by the Bible. And so even if, if you're frustrated by the fact that I'm talking about conservatism right now, I'm saying that... I have some ideas that did not come from conservative ideology. They came from the Bible and its theology. 
talk to me about who God is and how God created life and how God created sexuality to work in a certain way, that has informed me to try and fit with my values from here. And I try and go, okay, which candidate's gonna best represent my values? This, this, is, this is how we are to vote. And please do not act like any one candidate fits the bill perfectly because his name was Jesus and we killed him. I think the, the question, put it back up for me real quick. Have you spent more time in the last two years seeking more kingdom or politics? I think the kingdom can kind of be uh, a little bit of a nebulous uh, idea for some people, especially maybe if you're a little younger in your faith. But if I can break down the kingdom kind of as simply as I can, it's Jesus's rule and his, his reign. And so if you kind of think of Jesus as the principal of a high school, let's just try and make this as simple as we can. It would be as if uh, the principal was having everything in that high school executed perfectly according to his will. Any, any school admin in the room just can act like that's even half true for a second. Right, it's like you, you create an idea, you create a policy and, and it's good. And then what happens? Like all the schools, rebe- all the kids rebel against you. You know what I mean? I was one of them when I was in school. I'm like, that's a dumb rule. I'm going to break it. You know, like, but if, if Jesus, if you think about it, if Jesus was in a position of power, if, if you can kind of help, if it helps to think about it like locally, like a principle, Jesus's kingdom would be his rule and his reign in that place. And, and, and his, uh, his, 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 uh, desires and his authority being kind of executed perfectly, right? That would be what it looks like in perfection. That's what it will look like in heaven. For now, what we have is Jesus being Lord over what? Everything. All of creation belongs to him. So he at, the, at his resurrection ascends up and is now seated at the right hand, ruling and reigning as God. And so his kingdom is everything. And so as when Jesus says here, seek first the kingdom and all this will be added to you, he's saying, hey, seek first my vision for life. There's primarily two things happening in God's kingdom. There's his church, which is being edified, built up and equipped to look all the more like him every single day. That's us. That's you and me. We are, we are building God's kingdom as we are being built to look more like him. That's one aspect of the kingdom. The other aspect of the kingdom is lost people being found. So if, there's, if we see this playing out in two planes, there is, there is God's kingdom being built by us taking holiness and, and pursuing holiness seriously. That's why in Matthew, uh, Matt, can we throw up that Matthew verse, please? That's why uh, when Matthew's writing down his, his kind of ex- explanation of the Sermon on the Mount, he says what Luke says just a little bit differently. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So it's saying pursue God's kingdom and his righteousness fully. And that is what's going to build us up as the church. And it's going to equip us and grow us and mature us along the way. That's our process called sanctification. The other way that God builds his kingdom is through salvation. By people coming to know him. You read in Luke 15, there's three, uh, three stories that are told, three parables that are told of lost things. Lost sheep being found. Uh, the, the, the guy leaves the 99 to find the one. Then there's the parable of the woman who loses one coin and flip turns her whole house upside down to find the one coin. Then there's the parable of the father who loses a son. And the parable of that, like that shows us specifically God's posture towards those who are in outright rebellion to him. If you remember the parable of the prodigal son, right? He's, he's given his share, his inheritance. He goes and he squanders it. He blows it. He's given all the opportunity for life and he chooses to rebel instead. And once he reaches the end of his rope and he's eating with the pigs and he's given it all to prostitutes and he's just, he's blown the inheritance that God's given to him. 
And that, that's this picture of, of you and me, where we, just, where we have actually seen that God is so good and we've chose to go another way. And, and, and then as this guy repents, as he decides to turn his life towards, towards his father and come home, that's this picture of salvation for you and me. And God is not waiting on the porch. The guy is not waiting on the porch in the story, if you've read it, where he's sitting there kind of tapping his foot with a shotgun going like, oh, I was wondering if you were sooner or later going to come home, you know? No, but what does he do? He, he, he runs out to meet him. This is God's eager desire that, that the lost people shall be found. God is, God is in a desperate pursuit of those who are far from him. And it would be silly for you and me to get caught up in the left-right conversation and miss the fact that the kingdom of God, the mission of God is to seek and to save that which is lost, that belongs to him. He's desperately searching for them. The third question that I want to ask everyone this morning is what I think we all should be asking. Okay, so how can I participate in the mission of God while loving my country? Because this is, um, this is, what's interesting is this is, if we look at the Shema, we've been looking at the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter six is kind of our guide as we've walked through our own heart, our family, um, our neighborhood, our city, our neighbors. And, and that's where it stops though. Like it doesn't go beyond that to country. But I'm asking the question, how do we do this in a country? Because we can't help but be where we are. We, we were born, we were at the age we are now by God's design to live through this time that America is in right now. God placed us. He, it's, we're not here accidentally. So we have to ask the question, how can I participate in the mission of God while I love my country? The first one I'll say is this, vote. I, I, like, look, you're like, pastor, it's the wrong time of year. I know it's the wrong time of year. Um, but it is, it is crazy to me how many people choose to sit on the sideline when it's time to vote. If, if we only knew like the gift that voting actually was um, compared to the rest of the world's government systems, like it's, it's such a privilege that so many have laid their life down for so that we could have it. So go out and vote. Beyond that, you can pray. You can always pray. Be praying for the country that you love. I'm not, again, I'm not saying be apolitical. In fact, I think we should be political just in its right place. We should be pursuing uh, the, the welfare of the cities that we're living in. And that means we're going to express our duties as citizens to represent our values in our government. I'm so proud of some of the people of this church who ran for school board this last year, who are running for sheriff this year. Like we have people who are actively involved in the community that we find ourselves in. We should be filling up all, all of the little boards, the school board, the planning and zoning, all these different things that you find out there. We should be going for it, running for it like voting for these people. And, and so I just, I don't think that we as Christians can take the stance, well, well, none of it really works. And so I'm just going to abstain. That's not the answer. We engage with the system that we have inherited. We just don't let it become an idol where we worship the system and desire the system to produce outcomes that only the gospel can provide. Here, here's what, let me just kind of break it down a little bit. Like here's my conservatism at times, can say things like, well, that person just has less money because they're lazy. But it's the gospel that bids, like it just gives me this invitation to actually see this person in a way that goes like, I don't, you know, I don't know their circumstance. And I actually have received the grace of God in my own life. And so I'm going to steward and manage everything that I can so that I would move towards people in need. See, like conservatism, I've heard it explained a couple different times this way, and I think it, I think it fits well. Conservatism kind of acts like your dad. 
Maybe your dad was a lot nicer than this, but it's kind of like your dad that's like, hey, listen, just tough it up, pick up your own bootstraps and get to work, right? And then on, on, on the left-leaning side of things, you kind of have your mom that's just like, oh, it's okay, honey, come here. Nothing's wrong with the world. And everything's gonna be fine and we'll just, we'll just give you everything you need, right? That's kind of how the left and the right work. And, and, and neither one of those is, possess the transformational power of the gospel. So, so the left and the right, like I said, they both create labels in a way so that we can create distance and not have to engage with those people. But, but the gospel invites me to actually see, okay, wait, no, this person is gay. And they're a person. And they're made in the image of God. They have sinned just like I have sinned. I, I can move towards them because God has been gracious to me. God, God has loved me while I was an enemy of him. Of course, I can love them while they're in whatever mess that they're in. I can step towards, I can move towards, I can come close. And, and no matter what policies you create, whether it's, uh, whether it's affirming for this group or whether it's against this group, whether you outlaw some things or legalize some things, there's no policy that's gonna yield heart transformation. And so the more that we just get convinced that it's left and right, we're missing the fact that it's like, no, there's actually a redemptive story that Jesus is writing and I can go and I can get engaged with the people that I love, the people that I want to see come to know him. So if you want to love your country well, like I said, vote, pray. But beyond that, embrace your human agency. You can only help but be where you are. You aren't God. You're probably not gonna be the person who gets nominated to be the next Supreme Court justice, right? I'm just guessing. Like maybe you will be involved in the legislative branch of government. Maybe one of you will run for president. I don't know, but I'm just saying most of us are here. We're, we're, like, we're like plumbers and mechanics and pastors and air conditioner guys here in Loveland, Colorado. And so what we should do, what we should do, honestly, is we should love our neighbor well. We should engage with our city in the way that we, and God has placed us to engage with our city. We, we should love our families well. And if we're going to love our families well, that means we've got to come all the way back to the very first circle and we've got to pursue a love for Christ. And so if you want to love your country well, love God more. Like make more time to love him. Make, make sure he fits in your calendar. Make sure you are at an encounter night. Make sure you are at church on Sunday. Make sure you get in a small group so that you can get around other people who love Jesus. Pursue a relationship with him and that will spill into your family and that will spill into your neighbors and that will spill into your community. And eventually I gotta think at one point that'll spill into our nation. But it's crazy to me that I think somehow I even have to make the appeal for you to love your nation well, you gotta love God more. And that might be the thing that gets some of you to love God better. And I think that reveals how idolatrous we've made America. Like she's not the savior. As great as our country is, Christ and his kingdom is worth everything. And the more that we get lost in, the more that we continue to try and revive or pursue a better vision for this country, the more we're going to neglect the fact that God's given us a vision for our life. You know, I want to tell one story and then I'll kind of end and I'm going to leave a little space that we can pray. Um, we, we hosted a, a local um, outreach lunch. I didn't even know what to call it. I think we called it a local connect lunch. I just emailed several of the different ministries that we're already affiliated with in our city that are outside of our church. But then I emailed some of the people who actually go to church here, who, who are members here and they lead uh, amazing ministries here in town. And one of the people that we had come over was Duncan and Laney Howard who live over at Laga Vista. Duncan and Laney um, had a lot of historic, I, I learned a lot of this this week. They have a lot of historic experience in our school district here in TSD. 
And while they were teaching here in Thompson, one of the things that they started to realize was that there was a direct correlation between people's kids' income levels and their, and their uh, test scores. So the lower your income went, the lower your test scores went. Now, now if we're going to let the world decide, and we're, if we're going to let American systems decide how to best handle these kids who are in poverty, what we're going to happen is we're going to either have, we're going to either say, hey, their parents are lazy, they should go get a job, which might be true, honestly. Can we acknowledge that? Like there's probably a little truth in there. Or we could vote for policy to say, hey, we're just going to take a little money away from everyone to help these people who have less money out. And, and there's a little truth in that. If a lot of people were to help them out, that would make a difference. But both of them miss what Duncan and Lady actually did. Duncan and Lady felt called. They sold their stuff. They went and moved into that trailer park. They moved into Laga Vista that housed uh, tons and tons of low-income kids. They started creating programs, after-school programs, Bible studies, places to tutor, places to mentor. And now they have this fruitful, long-staying ministry there in that trailer park where they just continue to love and serve on the least of these in our community. Like, there's an alternative that I want to get behind. The left and the right both have ideas. They don't have solutions. Jesus has an answer to address not only the issues that are going on, but the life that you can call people into. That's the kind of people that I want to be. I want us to not see this as so much of a left-right game, but we actually see that it's a, it's a matter between heaven and hell. And so we're going to talk, we're gonna talk more about that next week. We're going to talk more about that next week, how eternity can actually put wind in our sails to keep this thing going. But for now, what I want to do is Easter Sunday is, is two Sundays away. Okay, so in two weeks, we'll all be in here. Y'all be a little more dressed up than you are right now. Girls will be in dresses. Guys might have a sport coat on. We'll be looking good. We'll be looking fly in two weekends. <laughs> and it would be a huge mistake if we didn't have somebody far from God who was sitting next to us. I've said it, we said it early on in the series. I, I do not want to be the church where I just say, hey, bring them here. We'll teach them the gospel and we'll disciple them. I, don't, I think that misses God's plan for his church. You know who the disciple makers are in this church? Not the pastors. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. And at the same time, on Easter Sunday, we're going to preach a message on back to life. And I'm going to lay out as beautifully, as neatly as I can, Jesus' invitation into life. And so as you've been going through this series, as we've walked through uh, people in your family, people in your uh, neighborhood, people that you would call a neighbor, people that you would see in your city, here's, here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping God has put somebody on your mind that is far from him. And I hope you've been praying for that person. But if not, I'm going to give you a little space to pray for them right now. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to pray for two things. Pray, God, would you give me a picture of a person that's already in my life that I need to invite into your story, Jesus? The second thing we're going to pray for is that, God, would you help me keep my antenna up over these next two weeks to see who is far from you that I could invite? All right? So I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then we'll stand and dismiss. Like Katie said, there's these little invite cards. We put the QR code on the back to the website. Gosh, talk about a resurrection. How about QR codes, right? Coming into Easter Sunday. Like I thought those things were dead and gone and COVID brought those things back to life. You know what I mean? There's a QR code on the back of that thing. People can pick, take a picture, pull up our website, get more information. But here, like grab one of those. You don't even have to, you don't have to grab one of those. You could just talk to people too. Amen. So let's pray and then we will dismiss. So right now, even just all across the room, would you just kind of, would you close your eyes? God, I, I pray, um, just even as Caden was reading out of Acts 2 this morning, I just pray that uh, the men and women here would have pictures, would dream dreams, would see images of people, real people that you love that are far from you.
God, would you put a burden on our heart this morning to go and to, and to share your good news with those people? God, if that means we invite them to church, then we invite them to church. But if it just means we sit down and share a meal with them, God, give us a person, give us a, give us a mission. This series has been so broad in so many ways. I pray that this morning now, would you just focus it in to be so clear that you've given us a mission for people. And would you show us those people right now that are already in our life, people we already know, moms, brothers, aunts, uncles, neighbors, coworkers, kids, friends, parents at the soccer field. Show us a face, give us a name. And God, we also just ask right now that you would, you would help us live a spirit-filled life over the next couple weeks and not in some maybe weird uh, charismatic way that we think of when we think of an old weird church we used to go to. God, would you just, would you just give us the ability to hear your voice and, and to see the people the way that you're seeing them as we go about our days the next couple weeks. As we go, I pray that we would be seeing people become disciples to you. Jesus, we just invite you into our life over the next couple weeks. Um, I, if you're willing to pray this with me, I'm praying this for myself right now. God, I am completely yours. Whoever you want me to talk to, whatever you want me to say, I am yours. I just yield myself to you. I want to be about your kingdom. God, help me not get lost in other little things. Help me focus on your kingdom and help me see that you will put politics, money, clothing, all the other things in the right place if I pursue your kingdom first. We stand. Let's pray, God, that as we walk out of here today, that we wouldn't just, that we wouldn't just be able to, to go and to look at the world in the same way. God, but would we have your vision as soon as we step out of these doors would we just start seeing the world differently? I pray that we wouldn't be so quick to complain, but we'd be quick to embrace the fact that you are doing a new thing. You are, you, are, you are moving and you are speaking and you are healing and you are redeeming. And so God, would we see the opportunity that we have in the world that we're living in, in the city that we call home. Jesus, we love you. This is for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.